0: A quarter of the world population are living with some form of mental illness. Globally, more than 264 million people are depressed. And these levels of depression are rising every year across the Western world, despite there being effective treatments for both moderate and severe depression. So why are more and more people in the world becoming depressed? 10 of Better Brain, Better You, where we're trying to help you cultivate a healthy brain and build better mental well-being at every stage of life, from troubled teens to older adults. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Webb. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I really do appreciate you spending some time with me. Today, I want to discuss some of the reasons behind the huge rise in the number of people living with depression over the last few years in modern society. Let me be absolutely clear, these reasons are only part of the story, but ones that I thought are relevant and will be good to reflect on in these challenging times that we're living in. So with that in mind, if you're struggling with low mood, anxiety or stress, and would like some help with your mental well-being, we have launched a free mini-course to help you increase your awareness of how you are coping with life's challenges challenges and managing your stress, anxiety, or mood. You can sign up for this free self-guided analysis of your mood, anxiety, and stress levels at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash sad. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash sad. It's completely free, so please do go and take this mini course to increase your awareness of your mood, your anxiety, and your stress levels. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll pin the link in the comments below. Okay, so there are three generally accepted causes of depression, biological, psychological, and societal. And we need to deal with all three to manage the depression epidemic according to the World Health Organization. But as a society, are we adequately addressing all of these causes? Most commonly we treat the biological causes with antidepressants, and the psychological causes with talking therapies like cognitive behavioural therapy. And there's very good evidence for the effectiveness of both of these interventions, either being used together or in isolation for alleviating the symptoms of depression. However, antidepressants do not necessarily cure the patient as such. They tackle the symptoms of depression and unfortunately, talking therapies aren't often always available or in sufficient supply for all members of society. Well, there's no doubt that biochemical and psychological interventions are incredibly effective for many people. Their influence and effectiveness are undoubtedly modulated by many other lifestyle and societal factors. For example, there's a lot of scientific evidence for the importance of diet, nutrition, exercise and other lifestyle and environmental factors on mental well-being. But by identifying the combination of underlying causes of each person's symptoms and triggers and treating these causes, lifestyle, dietary, genetic and so on, in conjunction with conventional psychological and pharmacological interventions, this could potentially help us to improve treatment outcomes for depression. Unfortunately, however, the traditional medical model, which has worked amazingly well for treating most modern physical illnesses like polio and smallpox, has not worked as well for treating mental illness like depression. We are diagnosing and administering more drugs for depression than ever before, yet the incident rate of depression is still rising, so something's not working. The diagnosis for major depression is persistent low mood or loss of interest or pleasure, but with a huge range of potentially different causes. Ten people might have ten different reasons for having low mood and might need 10 different strategies to get at the root cause of their complaint. For example, one person might benefit from changing their brain's biochemical makeup with an antidepressant. Five might need lifestyle changes like taking more exercise to lift their mood or eating brain healthy foods to combat a deficiency in certain brain chemicals or nutrients. And the other four might benefit from a talking therapy to discuss how a traumatic experience earlier in their life triggers changes to their mood and mental health. But crucially, many people living with depression are much more likely to have a combination of causes and could therefore benefit from some combination of some some or all of these treatments. Unfortunately, as things currently stand, this personalized or individualized approach to treating depression can't be tested using the gold standard in medicine for evaluating the effectiveness of a depression treatment which is what we call a randomized clinical trial. Most clinical trials measure the average effect of a treatment like antidepressants or cognitive behavioral therapy on a group of depressed patients compared to that of a control group or another treatment. There's obviously a lot of variation in the effectiveness of that treatment on individuals in the group, which is not captured by these average measures. Whilst there's a lot of excitement in the scientific and medical literature about the possibilities of personalised medicine to treat not only depression but a range of medical conditions, clinical trials are still unable to quantify the effectiveness of a treatment on an an individual living with depression. So this personalised approach for treating and managing depression could also consider the societal circumstances that contribute to depression, which are perhaps some of the most overlooked factors contributing to the current depression epidemic. And I would like to reflect on two two of those, modern loneliness and autonomy in our life, which are particularly relevant for the millions of people who are subject to some form of governmental restriction, whether that be self-isolating at home or being unable to work. The rules of good, good mental health haven't really changed for thousands of years. But what has changed is the modern environment that we live in. In our natural evolutionary history, we came together as a tribe to solve problems, to communicate, to socialize, to nurture each other and to hunt and to gather. And if we weren't part of that tribe, we were vulnerable to attack. But modern society has put different pressures on our behavior. We live in an individualized culture where we have disbanded our tribes and we're encouraged to live independent lives and often to live alone. And as a consequence, we spend much less time together than ever before. In fact, we live in one of the loneliest societies that's ever existed. Almost one in five people in the UK suffers with loneliness. We're just behind the states in our degree of loneliness in this country. And we know that loneliness causes physical changes to our body because research has actually shown that being lonely may be as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. And in an evolution sense, that feeling of loneliness is a signal to push you back to your tribe. So people can become depressed for perfectly good reasons. They're lonely. Antidepressants may take the edge of that feeling, but they are treating the symptoms, not the cause of the depression. And while there's absolutely no doubt they're incredibly important and helpful for people suffering with depression, antidepressants cannot be the ultimate solution we almost need a reminder on how to live well in the 21st century. One new and innovative and effective solution to treat the causes of depression and anxiety, like loneliness and fear of leaving the house, is what we call social prescribing. So if the problem is loneliness, a doctor can prescribe a social group to spend time with. This might be a gardening group if you live in an inner city, for example. There's loads of good scientific evidence that being much more in touch with nature and the natural world is really good for your mental health. Or maybe Parkrun, where local communities meet to run 5K around the local park, which is in fact, as the founder of Parkrun said, a social intervention masquerading as a running event. And at first, this might seem incredibly intimidating or hard for people living with depression or anxiety, but there is growing evidence that spending time with like-minded people in a friendship, community, or voluntary group can have huge benefits for people's mental wellbeing. Before the pandemic hit, 60% of clinical commissioning groups in the UK had commissioned some form of social prescribing to to connect people to community groups based on their individual mental health needs. So social prescribing is obviously a huge challenge during these difficult times, but the massive increase in mental health issues that people are suffering during lockdown just serves to show us the importance of social connections for our mental health. And the other societal contribution to depression I would like to reflect on is your autonomy, the amount of control you have over your life and your work. For a lot of people who are depressed or anxious, there's depression or anxieties actually related to their work. In the UK and Europe, about 13% of us like our jobs most of the time and 63% of us are treading water in our jobs. We don't like them, we don't hate them, we just make do and we get by. And 24% of us actually hate our jobs. So that's an incredible statistic. 87% of us don't really like what we're doing, what is taking up more and more hours of our life every day. We're all working much longer and longer hours. Some of us work really never stops with the never-ending streams of emails and demands on our time. And social science actually showed in the 1970s that the key factor that causes depression at work is having low or no control over your work. It's not the work that makes us depressed, it's being controlled at work by our bosses. My own experience is actually fit with the scientific evidence. I've worked in the university sector as a neuroscientist and a psychology lecturer lecturer for the past 20, 20 years or so. I used to love my job as an autonomous scientist, running my lab, asking the scientific questions that I thought were important, and teaching keen and enthusiastic students. But my university and the sector more broadly were restructured and repurposed, the job changed. I had to start accounting for and justifying every minute of my working day to some faceless manager who was completely clueless about the science and work we were doing. I really resented this type of working and lost control of the work and science I was doing. And over several years, my mental health took a nosedive. And that's one of the reasons I left the university and I set up this business, Ology. In lots of ways, I'm doing very similar work. The work hasn't changed that much, but no, I'm now in control of the work and my routine. I'm autonomous at work, and my mental health has massively improved. I do appreciate not everyone can just up sticks and leave their job, but there are other things that we can do. Managers could, could and should be providing employees working in demand in jobs more control and autonomy. And in jobs where it's not possible to do so, they should be reducing the demands on their Employees, For example, by allowing employees to set their own goals or decide how and when to do their work. So COVID-19 is undoubtedly causing more mental health issues, issues. So it's particularly important that work does not make those problems worse. And this includes managing and perhaps reducing the demands on our employees. Being aware of employees' capabilities and capacities to handle demands. Providing employees with autonomy is even more important than before the pandemic began in order to help to manage their mental health during these incredibly challenging times. So with that in mind, if you're struggling with your low mood, anxiety or stress and would like some help with your mental well-being, we've launched a free mini course to help you increase your awareness of how you're coping with life's challenges like work and managing your stress, anxiety or mood. You can sign up for this free self-guided analysis of your mood, your anxiety and your stress levels at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash sad. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash sad. It's completely free, so please do go and take this mini course to increase your awareness of your mood, your anxiety and your stress levels. Thanks for taking the time to tune in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. And I look forward to hanging out with you next time.